Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there. Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lebrecaro, and this episode's guest is Flight. It's answering that question, I, th- I think, of, of how do you make a record that's about love and a relationship and, it's, and it doesn't come across as self-satisfied or, you know, it's a really hard thing to write about. Hello there. Welcome or welcome back to Before the Chorus. It's me, as always, your host, Sophia Lovercaro, popping in as I'm starting to do now to say hello and chat for a bit before we get into the interview for this episode. If you are a regular listener, you may have noticed that this episode came out or is coming out one week after the last episode. And I normally release episodes every two weeks. I decided I want to try and see for the months of November and December and this tiny little bit of the end of October to see if I can release one episode a week instead of one every other week. I don't know if it's sustainable for me yet. Again, I do all this stuff for this podcast by myself, but there's a lot of interviews that I don't get to do because the frequency of episodes is a little too far apart, so we're going to try it. And the good thing is that means that I have more content to offer you and more great conversations with great artists. So hopefully you'll check more of them out and we'll go from there. Also, if you listened to last episode, you'll know that I started talking a little bit about going to shows during my time in London back in September. And there's a couple more I want to tell you about. Number one, um, for anyone who is a musical theater fan out there, I got to do something really, really cool, which was go and see Self Esteem, who has been a guest on the podcast twice in the lead role of Cabaret. Cabaret is my all-time favorite musical. I have a dog who is named after the main character. I think it's just like a very profound, very political piece of art. And so to get to see an artist that I really believe in, that I've got to watch grow simply just because I've interviewed her across several albums, getting to see her in something completely different from, you know, what I normally get to see my, my guests do, which is playing concerts, which obviously is incredible too, but it's just cool to have this different experience. But yeah, getting to see her in this in my all-time favorite musical was so cool. And oh my God, she nailed it. Like the cool thing for anyone who is interested in musical theater, in theater, or even in film remakes, getting to see different actors take on a different interpretation of a role is really cool. It's also really cool when you get to see someone challenge the way that you perceived a certain role. And Rebecca, aka Self-Esteem, really did that. She made choices for the character of Sally that I had never seen before and that I really, really liked. So again, it was just one of those damn special moments. Also, if you ever are in London, the production is ongoing. You should definitely see her in it or definitely see the production in general. It's interactive. There's phones in the venue, almost like an old style Berlin cabaret, because back in the day, you used to be able to call other tables, chat with other people, offer to buy someone you thought was attractive a drink. So they'd have these little phones and beforehand actors would call you. There were bars across all the floors and uh, of like outside of the venue itself. 
it was just really, really cool. A totally different take on the musical. Um, and lastly, I'll say, even if you're not a big fan of musicals, because especially in the musical world, aka the music nerd world, if you will, this is kind of one of those things that splits the room, you know? Like, there are some people that are, like, diehard musical fans, and then there's some that, like, wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, which, by the way, is fine. At the end of the day, if you like something, great. If you don't like something, don't. Um, just be open to the fact that other people have a different opinion on the thing that you do. But the reason I still say that Cabaret is a great musical to go see, even if you are not a musical fan, is because it's not like bubble gummy. It's actually very, very dark. It's very political, um, very progressive for its time as well. Uh, really supports, like there's a, a huge presence of queer characters, for example, in this play. And this play has existed for decades in some form. It started in the 1930s and I think became a musical by 1960 or 1970. So it's got a fascinating story. It's about the dangers of, of brainwashing, of fascism, of anti-Semitism, of all these different things. And it's something that can be applied even to modern day situations, just any form of discrimination or oppression and how easy it is for a population to become almost gullible to, to horrible propaganda um, and not wanting to engage with, with social activism in a time where it's really hard to do so. So again, I highly recommend it, check it out. On a separate note, I also got to see this week's guest flight on in actually not in London but in Paris at a beautiful venue called the Bataclan. I sort of touched on this last time but I decided to save talking about it here for obvious reasons. They were opening for another previous guest Half Moon Run. So getting to see the two of them together, I think the announcement came out like a few weeks before I was going on my trip and I see these two bands that I love very much playing a show together in Paris. I'm going to be in London without question. I bought tickets. I bought train tickets for the Eurostar and I went. I know that morning I had to wake up at about six o'clock to get the train to Paris after watching a very weird experimental film the night before. My friend wanted to go see it and so we went. So I was sleep deprived but still kind of, I don't know, discombobulated from whatever the hell I had watched the night before on the train to Paris, finishing up my notes for the interview. And then I get there, I get to the Bataclan. Um, head into the green room where flight are working and I have to tell you about this green room because it is the most campy ridiculous green room that I have ever seen. I've seen some disgusting green rooms, I've seen some beautiful green rooms, I've seen some completely neutral green rooms. This one was just wow. So it's the smaller of the two green rooms in the back in the back of the Bataclan in Paris. This green room looked like it was designed by Def Leppard on a budget. Like, discount Def Leppard designed this green room. The reason I say this is because it had a leopard print carpet, as you do, and then one of those guitars, this is where I'm gonna reveal I'm not very techie, that kind of has like the extra pronounced spikes on them. Like, it's a very like glam rock or like glam metal sort of vibe guitar. Like, if you can imagine, just basically like imagine like a coked out 80s star without the budget for the actual drugs designing a green room. That's what this place was. And it was fantastic. We were having a great time. My sleep deprived self and the guys from Flight, a like very mellow indie folk group in this like super campy leopard printed green room. Um, we were all a little bit sleepy that that morning, so we all just kind of like laid on the floor, did this interview. Luckily, we all sound super coherent. Uh, Will and Nick had very intelligent things to say. I somehow also managed to sound intelligent, I promise. But just picture the scene, a bunch of just wonderfully sleep-deprived people kind of like half-conscious on a leopard print carpet having a really serious conversation. In some way, it worked out, but I, I couldn't be happier with it. Before we even get to that, too, I want to talk more about my connection with flight. So when I was in university, this was back in like 2016, 
2015 or 2015. Jeez. Okay. As you'll probably hear us say in the interview, I feel really fucking old now. But my one of my very close friends in university, she was like, hey, I found this really cool band named Flight. You should check out their music. And we're like sat in like the university radio booth listening to Flight. And I was like, this is some of the coolest stuff I've ever heard. And then over the years, eventually they came around to release their debut album, The Loved Ones. I got to go and interview them in Will's old apartment in East London. And from there, we just sort of gradually, you know, got to know each other. Now they they are good friends of mine. Um, and it's just been so interesting over the course of the last, how many years is it? Seven, six? I can't do math. However many years it's been that I've known them to get to watch them grow creatively, get to watch them grow as people and see how those two things mesh and interact. You know, like it's it's such a beautiful process. And I've loved even getting like a small view into into the, the growth that these two have experienced. I think they write some of the most beautiful lyrics that I've ever heard. Two of my favorite breakup songs of all time are on the last record. That would be um, Everyone's a Winner and Losing You. You should go listen to both those songs. And you should also listen to episode 22 of the podcast because Will also came on to Before the Chorus to talk about that record. So... If you want a nice accompaniment to this episode, other than, of course, the album, that's a great one to go and listen to as well. But anyway, I love this group, and I couldn't be happier to share this one with you. So without further ado, this is my interview with Flight. We are sat in a green room at the Bataclan in Paris on the floor. Fucking hell, this is the third time that I have interviewed you. Um, first time was in 2017, so it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. God, that's six years ago. I know, I don't like that. Oh, dear. Well, we're going to talk about the self-titled record, which is number three. Um, I think first place to just start is it's just so nice to, like, get to see you, like, well, just because of, I guess, with the subject matter and everything in, like, such a good place, um, obviously with a very wonderful partner um, and getting to kind of document that, especially, you know, off the back of the last record, which was documenting a much more turbulent time. Um, it's kind of a beautiful thing to kind of get to exist in this space now. Yeah, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? We we even said that the minute that the second one, this is really going to hurt, came out. We're like, we'll need a dock leaf to this nettle. And... I think I, Billy and I just started getting together anyway when that record was coming out because it obviously everything takes a little second when you make it for it to actually come out. But we kind of already knew as it was as the second one was coming out that the third one, the one that was going to follow, would be a love record and would be the antithesis to the breakup. I'm just going to sort of keep sabotaging Will's life so that we have shit to write about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next time shit hits the fan, you know exactly who to look at and who to blame. Evil Prince, Nicholas Hill. There you go. Um, you know what's actually funny? The like dock leaf to nettle expression, I don't think I had ever heard it before until I'm pretty sure Billy was the first person that I've ever heard use that expression, which is kind of funny. I think probably the first time I interviewed her, I hadn't even thought about it until right now, but something about you saying it, it just kind of like popped an old memory back into my head. She's stealing my lines. Or are you stealing hers? No, no, no I know for a fact she stole that line. <laughs> no, actually, that's not true. It's it's hard to tell. Hard to tell with these things. But no, it's it's funny how you be you become kind of fused in that way. We have a shared dialogue. We live together, right? You know, in adjacent rooms, and in, the intentions start to to get, you know, pretty similar. She was in a different space to me for sure, but there was. There was a lot of sadness in her life, just generally. She kind of wore sadness very well. She is, she enjoys sadness. She enjoys it a lot. She kind of, I hope she wouldn't mind me saying this, but yeah, she sort of savors it and enjoys it in a way that I've never seen anyone else do. Um, but yeah, I think we both came out of, we were both coming out of a, of a, of a place of, yeah, to... To, to just simplify it down to a word, sadness. 
and it's become yeah it's become a real we've just flipped it on its head and it's it's nice that this record the the, the flight record and and hers drop cherries have kind of come out in the same year and they're in dialogue with each other and um you know i'm sure that there are other instances of that happening but i'm 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 maybe not just a good enough musical historian but yeah what have you got any good instances of that happening two people being together putting records out that's in the same year and those records both communicating with each other Brittany justin timberlake there you go i know actually one of my friends told me about like I think it was, this was actually more of a post rather than a during, but I think like Laura Marling, uh, Marcus Mumford, and then also one of the guys from Noah and the Whale that have all like written songs at each other yes. at varying points. I could also see Joni Mitchell doing something like that. I've not gone through her catalog enough to know, but it wouldn't shock me. No, Blue, was that in the wake of a breakup with one of Crosby, Stills, Nash, or someone in that I think Graham Nash Nash um, but it's not like Nash is going to do like a fantastic response to Blue I mean it's <laughs> yeah. one of the greatest records good yeah Nash. good luck good luck Nash yeah I don't think anyone can respond to Joni Mitchell end of sentence I don't care who you are maybe Leonard Cohen but I don't see those two having ever crossed paths in that regard um, yeah. but yeah even the, even the thought of Leonard Cohen responding to Blue is a bit like no Stay back. <laughs> and that's saying something. Well, anyway, if if you can't tell, we, we love Joni very much here because how could you not? Well, I guess going back to this idea or continuing on this idea of two people writing to slash at each other, like what I guess, how does it feel to kind of be in that process? Because it's I mean, obviously, one, it's you know, a very personal relationship that you're documenting on a sort of public level, but also knowing you're kind of being perceived and perceiving this other person in your life so intensely. Well, I mean, only now after this interview, because we haven't been talking about it with anyone else explicitly. I mean, people who are, who are paying close attention, I'm sure, have, like, have realized that's what's happening, but we haven't been saying it publicly that that's what's occurring. I think you have actually, or she might have. Well, maybe she did. Okay, interesting. Well, I mean, and I'm talking to you about it now, and this is going to go out, and everyone can hear it. But it's it's funny how there are certain lines, like in Speech Bubble on our record. There's a line, "Let me be the long legs that stick out of the bed," and on her Drop Cherry's record, there's a "Your legs stick out like sycamore trees." And I saw a few people online the other day when Speech Bubble came out, making that connection, and that was that was cool. That's like that's how I prefer people to realize that that was that was what was happening, you know, because the clues are all actually in there in the records themselves. Yeah. And so she was she was involved in the process as well. Yeah. She she lent a hand on like a couple of songs, and we lent a hand on a couple of her songs, and she was there for the recording of our album, and we featured on her album too. So it's sort of they weren't written like apart from each other; they were very much kind of in tandem. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely hear her voice very clearly on Don't Forget About Us. Like, I, I mean, I, I can clock it very, very fast. Yeah, so Don't Forget About Us is interesting because she, we had we had the tune written, I think, of that song, but then none of the lyrics. And then she was just very sad in bed. And I was sort of just set up and I had a guitar and I just like really quickly wrote those lyrics to cheer her up. And then wrote them like literally in 10 minutes and then sang them to her. And, you know, it's so funny. Like, So she wasn't, you know, a writer on that particular song, but it's like those lyrics wouldn't have come if it wasn't for like a, a quick, immediate d desire to just use it like as a, it was literally like a utility to write those words for that song. And so when it came to doing that song, it's like, oh, well, Bill should sing on it. You know, she should she should be part of that dialogue. So it's funny, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're sitting down and going, let's write a song together. It's There's just a, an organic kind of fusing that's happening there. There is one song on the record that we actually did write together in L.A. in a lovely, like, summer chirpy garden. It's the one at the end of the record. It's called um, Bedtime Reminder. And that was funny because that was just a joke. It was sort of on the iPhone. It comes up with Bedtime Reminder if you've got your alarm set for a certain time. And it doesn't yeah. matter. I was like, 
be cool to do a song that was called Bedtime Reminder. Be like, you could do it like an old, it'd be like a country song. It's like, you'll be my bedtime reminder. And then Bill was like, and I'll be your wake up call. And it's like, oh, fuck, that's the song. And we wrote that in like 20 minutes, you know. So, but we have tried to avoid, we genuinely try to avoid being too involved in each other's creative process because we live together and, you know, it's like you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, you know. And also, you know, Flight is me and Nick, you know. That that voice is a, is a strong voice that is, is very much there on the record and it's the, it's the it's the pillar of the record and obviously we have Laura and Billy and, and Jess from the stage and people like that and lots of other musicians and Matt Field from Beanberg and M Field and there are lots of people involved but really you know people are coming in it's just it feels like a nice reflection of the world we live in where we just have happen to have nice friends around us who are musicians and Nick and I are the ones sat there writing these songs and we could have done that done it just the two of us but it just felt like to kind of reflect the fact that these songs are written in that environment and those people are in our environment and for them to come in and actually be on the actual record as well makes it feel that much more like the environment itself that it's written about if you if that makes sense oh it makes perfect sense i mean even though like your your relationship is a very big cornerstone to this record it's it's obviously not the only one and we are going to talk about some of the songs that kind of exist like in those spaces because I, I really want to get to them. I'm still touching on some other ones first, but um, there's something you were saying about like, you know, like writing a song for for your partner, like in a, a situation where maybe they need to be uplifted. And one theme I noticed a lot that I really like on on this record is the idea of just genuinely wanting to be someone that your partner can lean on in a in a difficult period of time and how that in and of itself can you know like we want to do the best that we can for the people that we love when they need us and that process can be intimidating but like i don't know just this idea of wanting to be able to step up and do the best that you can yeah i mean that's a theme that nick and i explored a lot on this record and it's a really hard one to pull off we re we, we learned at least for us it was really hard to pull off lyrically having um, I mean, you've, you've 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 nailed it. Like that desire to want to be, uh, you know, just be there for someone and 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 support them and love them. Like that's the you know that's the point of any relationship ultimately. But to to um to kind of to say that that's probably what you were about to say. But to say that and it not seem like I'm going to protect you. And be your, you know, um, be your savior, or in, or yeah, be some kind of, yeah, like that implies that you are all sorted, and they're not, you know, and and there's so many negative connotations with that, and that was the, and that's not how it is, you know, for us, we're all is equally vulnerable, and it's just vulnerable people trying to look after other vulnerable people, and um, and so that was kind of how we. I think we cracked it with songs like Defender and Speech Bubble because those songs were so in danger of Yeah, you could they they could very easily veer into the cheesy if you just get the tone just slightly wrong. So we worked very hard to not. Yeah. Yeah, with with Defender for instance, just as an example, you're saying I mean we were saying I'll be your defender, you know, initially and it's like that's horrible there's just something that sits so wrong with that saying i'll be i'll defend you yeah. i mean obviously it's a lovely thing to say in one sense but it doesn't feel timeless to me and it doesn't feel true it's no one can be have that much conviction in themselves to know that they could successfully defend someone and so it was just a case of, go, of just changing that lyric and saying i pretend i'm strong enough to be your defender you know or um if I could drive, I'd take us home from here. You know, I'd be your defender. It's that it's that thing of I'll I'll have to, I'll have to fill this role even though I think I might not be able to. That suddenly was very very interesting to us, and that was a real key in the door for the whole record lyrically. Because then speech bubble was the same. It was let me, you know, not I'm going to. I'm I'm. It's not like I'm going to 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 be this for you and this for that. It's like if you could let me, I'll try. And it's so funny how that tiny twist in the tone 
just linguistically can make the whole thing suddenly you know it's just about that little twist even on bad days same thing it's just even on bad days it's just it's that acknowledgement that this isn't yeah it's 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 answering that question i, I think of, of of how do you write a song that's about how do you make how do you make a record that's about love and a relationship and it's and it ideally a successful relationship and you actually write about it and it doesn't come across as clawing on and twee or self-satisfied or you know it's a really hard thing to write about um especially in this day and age as well it feels like it's a well-trodden route maybe in in like very old-fashioned songwriting that's kind of hard to do now uh, and now there's a sort of zeitgeist for people to write you know in the sad or the kind of, or accusatory, you know, I think there are lots of people who love, love to write songs that are like, you have really fucked with me and screw you and I'm strong and powerful and you, you suck, you know, or there's a lot of finger pointing in songwriting. There's also a lot of um, the opposite, you know, what we were discussing, we were trying to avoid, which is like, self-satisfaction. yeah, exactly. And, and it's like, no, to self-deprecate is far closer to the truth of how everyone exists and to, and, and that I think we found was the way in to to writing about a relationship. And you know, if there is ever any sadness, it's it's only there as a lacing and a con and a building of context for ultimately a, like a positive and optimistic conclusion. We didn't want that ever to be a negative conclusion in any of these songs. So yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And it was funny, even as I was asking the questions about these songs, I was like, I want to phrase it right too, because you know, again, I, I don't feel like these songs, and this is kind of to, more to wrap up this point because you basically already said this, but like they didn't come across as condescending or as like I like, you know, like the kind of knight in shining armor, armor kind of thing. It really is. Again, it's just, again, a person wanting to be there for the people that they care about. And and that's beautiful as it is. Um, I think with that. Actually, there is one other thing I wanted to say about those last two songs, which is, and I think this is also one of the things that lends well to what you were just talking about, which is the fact that they're both almost like asking kind of like, rather than it being like asking a partner, a prospective partner, like, how are you going to fit into my life? It's more like, how can I fit into yours? And how, and like kind of being very willing to be involved in their life in all aspects of it. Yeah, I think that's that's another, like, hopefully another ingredient of why those particular songs work. I think I'm really singling out those three, Defender, Speech Bubble, Even on Bad Days, because they are all sort of mission statements for, for a kind of relationship that's becoming. I mean, the thing is, when we talked about this, when we did the same interview for This Is Really Gonna Hurt, but we realized halfway through making it, as we did with This Is Really Gonna Hurt, that we were making a kind of chronological concept record again. You know, with the, with This Is Really Gonna Hurt, it, it was it was a sequential thing where track one was the song that was written just after the breakup and you're just in the most painful part of, of it. And then track two and three and four and five are in that dark place and it's just working through all those dark emotions. And then as, as the second half, you know, um, you know, you turn it over and you get into a slightly lighter territory and 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 the breakup and the remnants, all of that slowly, you know, the clouds start passing and the sun starts coming out and you end the record on a positive question mark. So yeah, so with, with This Is Really Gonna Hurt, it had that, that chronological aspect to it. Um, and with Flight, third record which we, we realized that we were doing the same thing so with speech bubble it starts and it's sort of it's this relationship hasn't started yet you know it's saying let's do this yeah. basically um let me you know be the mattress let me let shape your future in the memory foam it's saying let's let's start let's yeah. begin and that's why it's the first track and then you know you get to press play and it's and it's this elated huge fireworks feeling of like it started and it's and i'm so excited and then so yeah it works its way chronologically through the beginning to to the sort of to a point of completion better than blue and better reminder a very you know rested 
like fully positive. There's there's no there's no sort of negative connotations. There aren't any question marks by the end. It's just it's landed. So yeah, it's 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 cool to have kept that up. The problem is, it's like, what do we do on the fourth album? Do we have to do we have to keep this up? Or maybe these two records, they just they have their duality and they live together, and we can. Yeah, Nick, this is the part where you have to swing in and throw the wrench and things. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Agent of chaos. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I guess we just figure it out when we get to it, don't we? Yeah. So, just to, to maybe do some more character studies like we did on our first album, that was kind of interesting. Just writing, writing stories again. It's funny because we will have we have no idea, <laughs> and we never do, you know. And that's the beautiful thing about making records. You just you you find out as you're making them and you realize there are prophetic aspects of writing songs where you're you know you're writing something that you haven't really thought that much about mm -hmm. and you think ah oh, this isn't actually much to do with us and but we're just you know we're going through the motions with this and then you realize months later oh we were writing exactly about what we were going through oh, or, yeah. or what we were just about to go through it's bizarre sometimes I remember when we were talking about Under the Skin because you started writing it before the end of a previous relationship and finished it after. I remember us talking about this specifically in the last interview. I think even like maybe you'd said like Nick had kind of had like a bit of like a premonition about it just from like hearing it and it just weirdly, I don't know, it just, that might be totally wrong. I feel like you were mentioning it. If not, I will scrap that little note, but I don't know. Yeah, it's true. It will kind of, yeah. The songs are like, um, can be like, you know, animals sensing a tidal wave before yeah. the humans do. Exactly. Yeah. They work in funny ways. Um, I think the last I kind of want to talk about on on this song, I think I'm going to, yeah, I think premonition was the wrong word. It was just like, I, I feel like it was just you had said something. Either way, I'm going to scrap that little note. <laughs> I think, yeah, we would have talked. I mean, yeah, that was definitely. The prophetic song thing was was definitely a theme on our last record, where songs would rear their heads again. It's like, wow, how is this sort of slotted into place again, into yeah. our lives? It makes more sense than when we like originally started it. It's, it's interesting. It's but freaky. It's funny though because we've done that that enough times now, where we've we've just we've been stressed about what we were going to write about and and worried and wanting to wanting to know and find out what. Um, you know the theme of the album was or you know record is such a a big important thing to us and so you know we, we we've always kind of worried about it and then felt happy at the end of the process because it's revealed itself slowly and organically to us what it is but now it's kind of like oh just take the hands off the wheel because there's nothing we can do about it it just tells us as time goes on like yeah. and it's quite nice i like the idea of the next records we the next the next few records we make just sort of getting to, to a place where we're fully limp with it and we just kind of go come on what have you got Sh yeah. show us yeah life usually finds a way to to give you something to write about um yeah i guess the last uh the last again the last song i want to talk about in this section before we get to like i'm um, gonna want to talk about like tough love amy chelsea smiles but first i think you know we already talked a bit about even on bad days but i want to zero in on it because more than any of like the three songs that you kind of lump together, this one feels like such a mere opposite to the feeling of the last record. Like I remember like even like talking about like love is an accident or trying to break your heart, which felt very like cynical in their approach and like, you know, like more avoidant. This one's kind of all embracing like whatever good or bad comes, I can sit with it. And it just feels like this really lovely, healthy place to write from. Yeah, it's like a like a wedding vow. If you read it out on the page, um, it's sort of a mantra esque, just repetition of um, yeah, what feels like a very healthy attitude. And it's funny because it it's a love song, but it's actually not. It's it's sort of all it's all of life in there. It's interesting because it's how we found that we we write well at the moment is that we'll we'll will find a phrase like even on bad days you know it'll you know it'll sit there in our notes and we'll be like that's a great phrase we can write around that and um and what's so satisfying is is sitting there and filling in the blanks and and knowing that that's a phrase that we can use as a pillar throughout the song just this is maybe more of a 
songwriting technicality here rather than talking about the emotion behind it but you know if you can if you can think of a well-balanced phrase like that it's a positive and a negative thing to say even on bad days um then you can you can just you can kind of write either side of that phrase so the so the so the line going into that title and then the line coming out of that title they can both kind of feed in and out so we found ourselves writing about everything you know it was it it, it allowed us to kind of yeah hold up the mirror and you know show me what you see is the line in that but you know it, it's talking about family in a really big and and deep and deep way and it's talking it's talking about domestic bliss and and domestic you know uh turmoil it, it you know it's talking it, it talks about sort of competitiveness within relationships it kind of covers so much ground that it starts to feel like you know you know a solution for so many things like oh that's how you write a love song you it, love isn't 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 singular in that way it's it, it's it's so completely bound to its context and all those things in that song are the context and not just in that initial romantic exciting moment that bit's boring that bit's amazing but it's over so quickly the bit that's actually worth exploring i think in the long run is what happens after that and i think that's what that song is for it's like when we are locked in to this thing now after that press play excitement what you know what is that going to feel like and i think that's why i like describing it like a wedding bow like i'd i'd want to say all of that to someone i was you know standing there marrying because it's sort of in sickness and in health isn't it yeah i mean i do i i know we i said already it's a healthy thing but i think I mean, it truly is, and I'm glad to see it written about rather than just like the the feverish kind of aspects of early love. And I don't know, we we should romanticize that part of things more than I think we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but make 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 boring sexy. Make boring sexy. You heard it here. I think this is a great note to start to go into what I kind of labeled as some of like the more outlying themes on the record, like tough love, for example. For one, I think it, it it reads as kind of a more turbulent song, and I, I really like it. Like, I love the sort of sarcasm of, like, are you for real, tough love. It's it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, Nick and I had a lot of fun writing that song. I mean, a lot of stress as well. I mean, we that we really workshopped that song because tough love, great, great, great phrase. And, you know, and not a, you know, not a, not a fresh you know combination of of words it's been you know it's been used before in songs so we we really were determined to make sure we breathed as much life into into those two words as possible and so that was so fun just drumming down on how how many how many variants of that you know that phrase can we can we can we squeeze out in that chorus and and so always very satisfied hearing it back kind of going oh this is a this is a three-tiered meaning going on with that um but it's yeah, I think that song is a bit of a relic of of the previous record in a way. It's got a lot of the DNA of the earlier record, yes. which is why it's frustrating in a way that song so far at least has been seems to have been the most popular because it's it's like no 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 listen to this to this is not this is a you know, um, but you know it's also connected to how you know how a, a healthy relationship works and it's about you know not uh, what's the song about? It's about not smothering a relationship. You know it's not it's about doing away with codependent tendencies and but it's got a little bit of that building anger and angst in it that that you know existed very much on the last record that i don't fundamentally associate with with this one this new record at all so it's it's funny it's a sort of yeah it sits there on its on its own in a way that song yeah that's very much why i put it in the kind of outlying section because its tone was very different this this next one kind of sits in both because it's not necessarily like a romantic love song but rather a love song to friendship camaraderie and that's amy um even though like there's a tie to to billy there's also just a tie to your larger creative community and and kind of wading through being musicians in the music industry during covid and i don't know trying to figure that out yeah yeah again i think that's just a, a way of like it's just the tapestry of the whole thing this if this song is a record about about you know a relationship if it's literally a record about i mean 
I hope it is not what people feel when they listen to the record that it's to do with specifically mine and Billy's relationship because it isn't. It's 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 written by two people about a much broader thing. But you know, it, it, it's interesting writing what you know and to contextualize the beginning of our particular relationship. Um, mine and Billy's. It was there in this flat in Clapton, and Jess from the Staves was there, and and Matt Field was there, and there were lots of musicians around, and. And it was coming out of COVID and we were all a bit terrified of, about, you know, what we were going to do with our careers. And and um, we also just sat in the sun in in the garden getting getting pissed a lot as well. And, you know, and knocking about and writing songs. And, you know, it's it's cool that that's, a, that's an element of, of the relationship that's been represented. And it's a fun track as well, you know, and it's a bandy song, you know, and it's and we had a lot of fun making that kind of Beach Boys-esque melody that shifts around a lot. It's kind of a, it's an odd chord progression in that chorus. Um, yeah. Again, we spent a long time writing the words to that too, a lot of trial and error, because yeah, it was a, a three or four different songs that we were trying to, trying to go for on that track, but just sort of just elongating the name Amy it was like that's good what does it mean what does it mean and we sort of just I guess we kind of did base it on one specific friend of ours a lot maybe we shouldn't name that friend I named her in the in the letter I sent out to everyone but or did I I don't think it matters but like and it, again it's so funny because there's 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 definitely like such a bi- biographical aspect to all our records and this one especially it's very like you could very easily pinpoint a name like where all of this stuff has come from and it's been a huge breakthrough for us in terms of how to write and this then how to write at speed is just is that find the exact truth for us and and just transpose it um but i mean i can see on your notes chelsea smiles which was just absolutely purely, I'd say, completely academic. Yeah. Which, was which was a joy to do, but it was, um, I guess that is an outlier for that reason. Yeah. Just cheating, looking at my notes. I feel like Chelsea's smile uh, kind of serves a similar purpose that Mistress America served on the last record in the sense that they're both like love letters to a place and they're kind of like this optimistic outlook of like things are going to be okay and i mean even though this record by and large is very optimistic and and tender it's again it's just that kind of like lovely outlook on life and so even though it sits apart from the other songs it also kind of washes everything in this just like i don't know kind of like a sigh of relief as well yeah it's funny it's it's like a again just a an extra bit of context it comes after Amy as well, doesn't it? So it's good those two songs sort of aren't about a relationship, but what they are doing is they are painting the the scene in which that relationship exists in. And Chelsea Smiles, we, we wrote that that lyric predominantly at the Tate Modern. There's a balcony up in the Tate Modern where you can... Yeah. You can um, in the cafe? Yeah, there's a cafe and there's like a big sort of like um, kind of concrete balcony you can oh, sit yeah. out on. Yeah, yeah and, and we would meet... We would meet up there. We'd been meeting in my flat and sitting down and sort of banging our head against it because it's a, it's quite, it's, it's quite a sort of long melody and it's quite a tricky. It's a really tricky thing to try and get lyrics to fit to melody. Ideally, what happens is it's lyric first and then you then you wrap the melody around the lyric or the two come together, which they can often do, and that's yeah. always a blessing. But if you write a melody first, that is a real. Um, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not going to speak for all songwriters, but I'm pretty sure that's like the hardest possible situation to put yourself in is filling in melody with lyric. And we we would be banging our head against the wall a lot with that that tune. It's a very long, intricate melody. And to fill that in with, with lyrics was just a real, real challenge. So we, but we decided to go and sit out on the balcony in in the Tay on the South Bank, looking out at London. And so it's so funny that they came out as this sort of London song. And, you know, it's where, you know, it's where we live and it's where we, you know, we, we love. And it's, you know, the Murder Mile is there, Lower Cla- the Clapton Road, which is where, you know, where we lived when we were writing it. And, you know, it's all there. Yeah, although not a, not a Chelsea fan in any way. But that was, that was just, that was just an interesting one where, as Nick said, kind of academic, where it's like, 
we need a three-syllable phrase here mm-hmm. that's going to lock in on the da 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 yeah. da da and then we can have whatever da 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 again da 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 it's like that's where that title's going to land and we're going to need a three-syllable phrase and it's you do get to that point where it's we'll need a pronoun we'll need a verb like it literally gets down to that yeah and you can you can do that till the cows come home but to actually find a phrase that's like okay we can now run with this because this means enough to us and also has multiple meanings that we can we can toy with this forever and it's so funny once you find that then you can write and it all falls together yeah after the title yeah, because the yeah, the, I mean, what's the fra- the phrase is? You know, Chelsea smiles is an act of football violence. Oh, is it now? Yeah, it, it's a it's a where they would the Chelsea fans would like do a joke, you know, cut yeah. cut the the sides of the mouth and give people a Chelsea smile. Um, so it's so it's like got that angle, which is very interesting. Is why we put a slightly sinister undertone in the chords and the feeling a little bit when those strings come in. This slightly out of tune is a little unnerving, yeah. uh, but then it's a beautiful like love song to London, yeah. and it's also a love song to a girl called Chelsea. You know, so it's yeah. like it's got th- you got three levels, and so what we we did is we kind of wrote three versions of the song, and then we just jumbled them all up together. So it's one of those songs where, you know. It's Nick and I just having a lot of fun as songwriters, just playing, you know, just, awesome. yeah. Well, I guess the last one I kind of want to talk about, and actually it's it's half about one song and half about like the record as a whole, but I remember the last time that we did an interview, I think you'd said that your dad was hoping that you'd write like a happy album or something like he was like, you deserve to be able to do that. And you've done that here. And I think that Better Than Blue, something about the very literal sense of that title encompasses that really beautifully. It's like, and also like there's these kind of like cheekier lyrics, like calling love like an easy peeler. And there's like a, a lovely lightness to it. And and I love getting to just kind of see that side of you guys' songwriting. Yeah. Yeah. What's the line? Love, love is a tangerine healer that makes life an easy peeler. Yeah. It's like, Pretend, it's kind of like love is an accident waiting to happen. It's like a potentially horrible line, <laughs> but like so much fun to write that kind of lyric and then make and make the melody make sense of that lyric and make it feel acceptable. But yeah, that's 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 an out and out, you know, just positive affirmation, you know, um, and so much fun to write that way. You know, you get better than blue, and then it's like, okay, so the rest of the lyrics are going to be describing all the colors that aren't blue, you know, and just weaving that all together. I think my dad actually said. Oh, you're you're fucked if you're happy right now. Or you're not going to write anything good. So I think that I that swore he said the opposite. No, no, he said no, that's what he said, and and it was and that was that was that was the challenge for us. It was like, okay, fuck, no, we are going to write. We're going to write something amazing, and it's going to be positive, and it's going to be based in happiness. And that was the challenge we set out for ourselves. And you know, and we sweated blood over these songs. Nick and I met up solidly for six straight months just writing. You know, we don't use production or computers or we don't demo or hardly use other instruments really as we're writing we just have a couple of acoustic guitars so it's really really you know tim pan alley roll up your sleeves shirt and tie come into work sit down write you know we were writing so solidly for such a long time to make that to make that work you know to to try and pull it off when we went to record the record it it was a 10-day session it was the easiest recording session we'd ever done it was such a quick easy process and you can hear it in the recording it's they're mostly the first takes you know there's there's no there are hardly any overdubs you know there it's just it's mostly that even on bad days is a straight live performance i think it's the second take chelsea smiles is a straight live performance it's the first take you know these and you can hear you can hear how easy those recordings are and how bare and natural they are because of how hard it and how how hard we worked in that process leading up to it you know finally land after the many pitfalls of recording two albums previously and just finished got to finish the songs yeah. songs have got to be done and then you're free and just do whatever <laughs> but obviously do it well but <laughs> yeah but also don't demo them you know because yeah. we in the past will have demoed them people people that's a that's that's a well-trodden process people write the song then they demo the song 
maybe the song isn't completely finished as they're demoing it. And what you, you end up really shooting yourself in the foot. You go into the studio and you've got this thing that already exists and you're trying to better it or do a different version of it or you're trying to just kind of re, you know, reproduce the same thing but in a nicer space with more expensive gear or something like that. The souls you've forgotten you've just forgotten the soul you can't even we we forget the soul after about three takes you know we can't get it back after that so you've got to be so ready and prepared um to let go when you're in the studio i think this is what we've learned at least is you know don't demo it don't know what it's going to sound like just know this know that the song works and then when you're in the studio you can you can capture that moment of discovery as it's happening and then you never have to go back to it or do it ever again or overthink it. And that's, that's I mean, that's how we plan on working forever now. Because that's like, oh, that was so easy and lovely. And we can do that now for till we're old and grey. We can make records like that, you know. Um, so that's another really happy conclusion, this record. Just a lot of things kind of, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Landing the way that they're meant to. In, in all spheres of, of life and, and art and, and all of it. Yeah. It's not, it's not shit. It's not a shit feeling to, to have landed there. It's all going to blow up on our stupid faces in a, in a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> but like, you know, yeah, that's it. If this is if this is a record about honesty and truth and love, then the, the, the process should also be in based in that. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a super crazy honest uh, record in terms of the recordings. They are, you know, we would we would listen back to those takes and be like, oh, let's try that again, shall we? And you know, Dom and Andrew, the producer and the engineer, who are they're just fantastic, and they they just go, no, no, if you dare, don't you dare go back in and do another take. That's the one. And they have we had to be convinced a lot of the time that, that those were the takes. I listened to them now and I was like, oh, that's I'm fine, that's great. And the bits where I was worried I was wobbling out or there's you know there are lots of mistakes in it. Those are the best bits. Those are the bits I enjoy hearing hearing back the most. And, you know, Andrew and Dom, who produced together, they produced the third and fourth Big Thief records. Um, and, you know, that's something that... Those are records that we really... Those are modern records that we're like, oh, thank fuck, these are some, these are some properly good records. These are records we can listen to. And it makes you realize, you know, why? When you, when you have process like that with people like that because you go oh yeah that's that's because and you get well you go back and listen to those records that big thief record for instance you go oh yeah it's raw as hell and it's really vulnerable and it's and there's there's plenty of scuffs going on but yeah take away the computer take away the tune, take away the ability to edit put too much production or effects into it and it makes it so easy because then you just are the thing that you are when when you're hearing you just hear back what what it is if it's if it's not making you happy after that, then it, you need to go and write better songs, maybe, or you know, you know, it's it, because performance doesn't even have to be that good. As long as the song is good and the, and the actual capturing of that song is real and vulnerable, then it's forever music. That music can be forever. Flight's self-titled album is available now wherever you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lopercaro, and the artwork is by Meg Wilford. 